Welcome to the CIBC Private Wealth Management's Advisor Podcast. You don't have to be a savvy investor to know that China is a big deal. China's growth has surpassed the U.S. for more than a decade. In fact, most experts believe China will become the largest single economy in the world, eclipsing the U.S. within the next few years. But for all the good news you hear about the country, there's other reports pointing out that China's growth has slowed in recent years. So is China a safe bet or a risky gamble? To learn more, we spoke with a couple experts. First up, Matthew Scherer, CFA, Portfolio Manager and Equity Analyst. What's the first thing that potential investors need to understand about China? It is important to remember that, you know, China's the number two economy in the world. It's soon going to be, you know, the number one economy in the world. And it is certainly growing faster than the U.S. And it's important to remember that as our clients think about where they're investing for the next 5, 10, 15 years. You know, you're, you're seeing economic growth, you're seeing investment, you're seeing population, you have, they have the right demographics. Dan Delaney, Managing Director and Equities Portfolio Manager, agrees, but stresses that people need to understand the differences between China and the U.S. Here's one, one thing you got to keep in mind, right? So it's a command economy, right? It's governed by, it's, it's, it's not a democracy. Uh, and while we like democracy here in the U.S., authoritarian governments have certain luxuries that, that work well in certain situations, right? An authoritarian government sort of has obvious capital projects to do when they're trying to grow their economy. And there are things like road construction and airport construction, housing construction, hospital construction. Um, and so that can drive a lot of activity and has in China and it's really improved the lives of, of people there. But it was activity that sort of needed to happen and the authoritarian government was able to get it done. So it makes sense that in some instances, a government able to make decisions quickly and unilaterally could have a positive effect on the economy, at least initially. But another thing to keep in mind is that China's communist government doesn't apply the same policies all over. The China's a big country, right? And we tend to, as Americans and Westerners, talk about it as one giant monolithic block, but it became very apparent to me in talking to all these different companies that there's almost two Chinas, uh, you know, an economy that exists uh, in their special economic zones, uh, these five zones uh, largely on the coast uh, that have had preferential treatment from a, a liberalization of, of markets perspective for the last 20 years. You know, those are very distinct economies from what you find in the interior of the country. They've been later to develop or not developing from an economic perspective because the governmental system there is still sort of fully authoritarian versus what you find in special economic zones where the governmental system is more relaxed and more capitalist. And these more capitalistic areas have a disproportionate impact on the country's overall GDP. If you looked at the map and just saw these little areas where they've liberalized, like it's a tiny fraction of the of the country. It's a it's a meaningful portion of GDP. Um, it's about 30% of GDP that gets produced in the special economic zones. Um, but it, they're fractional portions of the country from a geographic perspective. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they do grow. Like, it's, listen, it's better growth than the U.S. generally, but it's it's a very different mindset when you move out of Shenzhen, which is one of the earliest special economic zones. And quite honestly, when you when you're there, it feels like San Francisco. You know, it's just vibrant. But you know, if you move out of these areas where you know, sort of capitalism is more frowned upon, and and the party infrastructure really determines 
you know, success or failure, it's, it has not been as, uh, it's just sort of a tale of two cities a little bit, you know. And does it look like there may be less authoritarian control in China's future? Uh, you don't see it really changing. In fact, you could argue it's gone a little bit the other direction in recent years from a, you know, a, a heavy handedness of the government, even in the special economic zones. Uh, but more than one of the Chinese trade folks that were at this conference were actually arguing the point that it actually does need to change, that the rest of the country needs to move along the same path uh, that the special economic zones uh, moved along uh, quite some time ago. And that, you know, for the, continue to, for the country to continue to maintain high economic growth rates, that liberalization needs to occur in other areas. So is the authoritarian control directly related to China's recent economic slowdown? One of the things that's gone on in China has been self-inflicted. The, the country, uh, the, the, the government there has done it, has slowed their growth rate intentionally. You know, over the last 10 years or so, they wanted to transition the economy from sort of an infrastructure export-led economy to one that is more consumer-oriented. Uh, more along the lines of what we have here in the United States. And when you create that consumer class, you basically create an economy that's more self-sustaining, less reliant on these big capital projects and re less reliant on exports for growth. Um, and you also, you know, make the lives of your citizenry more uh, livable, right, with better health care and better access to consumer goods. But the big problem with that transition, when you shift away from infrastructure, I mean, there's some research out there that a dollar spent on infrastructure has an eight times multiplier on it. It builds growth in the economy because, you know, when you build a bridge, you've got to buy steel, cement, you've got to hire laborers, you need backhoes, you need like this whole chain of, of inputs that go into big capital projects like that. Um, drive economic growth at a faster rate. Conversely, in a service economy or a service industry, uh, the multiplier effect on $1 spent is about three times, not eight times. So it doesn't benefit the economy as much. And as a result, you get this aggregate slowing in growth. With this top-down guidance of economic transition for the nation, the country's leaders are employing a number of tactics. What's important now as we sit here in early 2019 is we've seen the government be pretty aggressive and starting to stimulate. You know, we've seen tax cuts, we've seen some support for the auto industry, reserve requirements be lowered. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, if, if growth was slowing last year for multiple factors, they've, they're already moving to reverse one of the main factors that resulted in a slowing economy last year. Overall, China's economic growth remains significant, and it retains a unique set of circumstances and scenarios affecting that growth. But when you compare GDP trends over time with that of other past emerging economies, you see real similarities. If you were to plot GDP per capita and then GDP growth, what you would see is, is that China is tracking very closely to the same sort of aggregate path if you put Japan, South Korea, um, you know, a few other sort of developed Asian countries together. And, you know, at the current GDP per capita, like the economy should be growing in that sort of six to eight percent range, right where it is growing. So I think and, and you know, as GDP per capita rises, that GDP growth is going to slow. It's just it's the natural evolution of, a, of an emerging economy to a developed economy that we've seen over and over 
um, you know, across the world. So ultimately, is China ripe for investment or should we be looking elsewhere? 75% of the world's economic activity happens outside the U.S. And China makes up a big portion of that 75%. And if you think about the things you own in your home, whether it's your TV, you know, your iPod, your car, you know, so many of these things or portions of them are, are made in China that to ignore that sort of pool of economic activity and innovation is just sort of foolish. And you layer on top of that this whole growth rate discussion of, you know, we can pick our rate, whether it's six, five, seven, nine. Uh, in China, but uh, it's sure a heck of a lot better than two and a half. I would layer on top of that, you know, valuations also obviously look quite attractive given how difficult the market's been. And But more importantly than anything, I mean, I think this is a big part of of the globe, of the global economy. This is one of the fastest growing parts of the economy. And I think it's an area where, you know, clients are going to, over the course of the next decade, you know, want to have exposure. And it, this is not going to be an emerging economy in, in five years. It's going to be the largest economy in the world. And But all that being said, there are still a ton of, of very bad companies, badly run, you know, not run for economic profit, not run for shareholders in China. And it's just so important that you have portfolio managers who are focused on understanding, you know, what parts of the economy are interesting, you know, what management teams that you want to be teamed up with, and finding finding those stocks to, to represent your China exposure. To learn more about investing in China and other topics, check out the latest edition of The Advisor at private-wealth.us.cibc.com. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, and CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group, LLC, and the Private Wealth Division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Contents expressed are current as of the date of this publication and may change without notice.